This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake, joined as always by Gabby Urrutia. In this podcast, I just wanted to open it up to the uh, users of InsideTheU.com and uh, have kind of a mailbag style episode. So we asked our message board posters, subscribers, shoot us questions, whatever you guys got. We will do our best to answer as many as possible. So Gabby and I combed through it and selected some of the questions. And uh, we got some good stuff here, I think, and uh, some interesting topics to touch on wide ranging from coaching, search questions, hypotheticals to recruiting questions and uh, even touching on the strength and conditioning staff, etc. So, uh, lots to jump into there. Um, Miami, the ACC released the 2023 schedule here this week. I don't want to go too into in depth on that right now. Uh, I think we can maybe have a discussion on early thoughts on Miami in 2023. Uh, you know, relative to how the schedule lays out. Um, but I do bring that up just to say free shout out to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Department. Go get your season tickets. Uh, support the program as much as you can that way. Um, yes, 2022 was disappointing. Yes, the home schedule was brutal to watch in person with some of those losses. Um, but Miami's, I think, on the right trajectory nonetheless. And I think the uh, home schedule this year's going to be a fun one. So um, free plug there. Miami Hurricanes Athletics, go get your season tickets. Uh, all right, before we jump into our mailbag here, Gabby, let's have some quick words from our sponsors. Attention business owners, I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now, employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices ASAP. 
The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid. All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today. erclawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at MidwaySports.com. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at torreslionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. All right. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Again, your support means so much to Gabby and I. Gabby, let's jump into it. First question, uh, kind of the topic I think everyone wants to discuss right now has to do with offensive coordinators. So Bumpin' Meat asks, who is your top offensive coordinator option and why? You want me to, you want me to, you want me to take this first one? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. To me, it is, to me, it's Jason Candle, the, the head coach at Toledo. Uh, I, I think he's the best option. Uh, again, David, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it feels like he's been Mario Cristobal's top option dating back to the, the search in, you know, 2020, well, I guess 2022 when he got here. Uh, you know, as the head coach of Miami, it felt like that's who he wanted. Uh, those reports surfaced sometime last year. And then I, it feels like, you know, the, the rug got kind of pulled from under them and all that kind of got blown up. And, you know, he returned to Toledo on a new contract. Uh, still, I think he restructured his contract with Toledo again uh, this offseason. But I mean, he's someone that, you know, again, a, kind of an offensive minded uh, head coach. Uh, his his program has put up, you know, a- averaged over 30 points per game, I think, in seven of the last eight seasons, maybe more than that. That's just kind of what I got to. So, you know, a, a program that's consistently putting up points, they just won a, a Mac conference championship in 2022. And, you know, again, he's ran a successful program and all that stuff. And that probably leads to questions. Okay. So why would he leave David? And I think you brought up a good point, uh, you know, when you're kind of dropping your notes in that, you know, if it, the, 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 I guess like the, the money discrepancy between some of those group of five programs and, you know, power five programs, especially now with, you know, the new TV contracts. And obviously we, we don't really know where the AC is there, but he could probably make more money. I think what he's scheduled to make $1.1 million as the head coach of Toledo uh, this year, I think, you know, as the offensive coordinator at Miami, he could probably make more. And if he were the guy to flip over this offense at Miami and uh, kind of turn this thing around uh, like what you mentioned, David, I think his path to a power five, 
uh, head coaching job becomes a, a maybe a little bit easier or a little bit more attainable uh, that way. So, uh, you know, again, not, he, he's a really good coach. He's been at Toledo a long time and he's definitely made that program uh, a really good one. I mean, just some names, I mean, Deontay Johnson, who, you know, is with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, he's a super talented guy. Uh, you know, he came out of Toledo and even a couple years ago when Miami had to play them uh, in back-to-back seasons, I mean, that they were rolling at that point. I mean, I, I, I forgot, but they had a really good quarterback that I think was like breaking, you know, school records. Would they say. had another, well, yeah, he was, I mean, he was really good. They had another receiver who was alongside Deontay Johnson, who was really, really good too, putting up great numbers. So this is a guy that understands offense um, again. And I think, he, I think it would be a home run higher if, if Miami were to go out and get someone like Jason Candle, or, I mean, really just Jason Candle. There are obviously other good options, David, but uh, to me, Jason Candle is the guy um, I think he would be an absolute grand slam for the program. Agreed. I think the question, and you alluded to it, is how possible is it? I don't think it's impossible, uh, but it would be somewhat of an unprecedented move. Uh, you know, we saw even recently this coaching carousel cycle, Sean Lewis go from Kent State, the head coach at Kent State to the offensive coordinator job at Colorado. Um, you know, with that being said, though, Sean Lewis, not nearly as successful as Jason Candle. Uh, Kent State, I think, is coming was coming off a five and seven season this year. So he might have just been kind of resetting his clock, too, uh, in terms of, you know, not getting fired uh, eventually. Jason Candle's not in that type of danger. Again, you said it. He's he's coming off a MAC championship. Uh, he's been successful at Toledo. Um, but I do think it's a fair case to me be made. You know, look, you can go. I think to land a guy like Jason Candle, it takes something in the range of $2 million per year, which is a pretty significant pay raise. Um, he actually took a pay cut with his extension, uh, going from 1.2 million last year to 1.1 million this year. Now there are incentives that are going to be fairly easy to hit here in 2023. And if he does that, he'll, you know, that number balloons up to maybe about the $1.5 million range. Um, and another reason why this move might be tough to pull off is Toledo's on paper supposed to be very good next year uh, at that group of five level. I think they return something like seven first or second all Mac team players. Um, and so they're expected to be a, you know, a team that pushes 10 wins. And so, yes, I do think if we're talking about the ability to go be a pretty a head coach at a pretty good P5 program. I still think uh, resurrecting the Miami offense would provide an easier path to that than staying at Toledo. But Jason Candle might believe, hey, if I can go get 10 wins next year at Toledo, maybe that's enough for me to jump to the Power 5 level eventually. Um, so there's a lot to juggle there. I do think, you know, he would be the top option for Mario Cristobal um, if he was interested in coming. And this is getting in the weeds, right? But if that happens, there's an easy connection point there too. 
with Kevin Beard being on his staff, former Miami Hurricane wide receiver, former Miami Hurricane wide receiver coach, I think for one year, maybe might have been an OC or a, a QC, I forget, but he was on the staff during that Al Golden era, uh, was also a wide receiver coach for one year at Tennessee. Um, so that's kind of an interesting tie in as well. Those two could conceivably come down together. Um, and yeah, talking about just Jason Candle's offense, you know, it's balanced, um, and which Mario Cristobal likes, but it's, and it, it toes the line between having some NFL type of principles and being a college style offense, right? And I think that's a balance that needs to be made because Mario Cristobal is, uh, he does want to have somewhat of a pro style feel, uh, but I think he needs to be willing to want that look, but also be simple, if that makes sense. Um, and I think Jason Candle's offense does a really good job of towing that line. He's from the Matt Campbell coaching tree. So if you're familiar with Matt Campbell's work at Iowa State, um, it's kind of similar-ish styles of offense uh, there. So yeah, I agree with you, Jason Candle. I'll go out on a limb here, and I know this is probably not going to be the most popular take, but I'll admit, and if people want to push back on this, I I get it. But I admit, the more I think about it, the more I kind of like the idea of James Coley as the straight-up offensive coordinator. I think there's a chance he comes back anyways as a co-OC position coach. Um, but even if you want to make him the offensive coordinator and go bring in a beast recruiter, of a wide receivers coach with him. I think that could end up being the best thing for the program if you can't get a Jason Candle. Um, you know, I went back and looked at uh, the S&P Plus measurement of Coley's offenses that he's coordinated at Miami and Georgia. And so the S&P Plus is an advanced stat that basically measures efficiency. It tries to take out tempo and opponent adjusted numbers. Basically, you know, the simplest way to describe it is in a vacuum, how efficient is your offense? And, and it, it kind of uh, measures explosiveness because that's a key part of offensive football as well. Um, but anyways, it's, it's a good number. Uh, to take out all the fluff and just measure how efficient is your offense. So Coley was the offensive coordinator at Miami from 2013 to 2015, so three seasons. His first season at Miami, uh, the S&P Plus measured Miami's offense as the 17th best in the country. The next year in 2014, the 34th best offense in the country. So his first two years, top 40 offense. Uh, 2015, that number did dip. That was the last year of the Al Golden era to number 50. Um, at Georgia, he coordinated it one year. I believe it was 2019, if I have it right. Um, 
that Georgia offense, the S&P Plus had Georgia as the number 23 offense in the country. So uh, three out of the four years at major power five programs where he was the coordinator, we're talking top 40 offense for, you know, just a reference point, the S&P Plus this year, Miami's offense uh, ranked at number 88 overall. So um, his offenses were significantly better, of course, than what we saw. And look, I think a lot of that has to do with his ability to go out and recruit talent. Um, We talked about it in the last pod or one of the most recent podcasts. He was a primary or secondary recruiter for uh, Brad Johnson or sorry, Brad Kaya. I don't know why I said Brad Johnson, Brad Kaya, uh, Mark Walton, Joe Yearby. Gus Edwards, uh, Malik Rogier, and on defense, Jaquan Johnson. Uh, he was also the offensive coordinator. Uh, he wasn't designated as a primary or secondary, but you know, as the offensive coordinator, you're involved with recruiting almost everyone on offense at some level, uh, especially a guy like James Coley who embraces recruiting. Uh, but while he was offensive coordinator, Miami signed David Njoku, Stacey Coley, Chris Herndon, Braxton Berrios, Casey McDermott, Tyree St. Louis. So, um, you know, look, the most success Miami's had in back-to-back seasons in the past 15 years was 2016-2017. That, of course, was Mark Rick's first two years, uh, which James Coley was not a part of. Uh, Miami went 19 and seven, I believe those two years. Uh, and look, a lot of those players on offense were Coley guys. Uh, again, Brad Kaya, Malik Rozier were the quarterbacks those two years, Mark Walton running back. Uh, so the 2016 year, Gabby, I went back and looked, right? Again, this is Mark Rick's year, but still running back room was Mark Walton, Joe Yearby, Gus Edwards. That kind of gives you an idea how far the talent level has dipped. Oh, yeah. Uh, honestly, since James Coley like, was on the staff. And I'm not saying it's all because of him that those teams were decently talented. Um, but year over year over year, the talent's just kind of progressively dipped, in my opinion. Um, and so I think, of course... James Coley as your offensive coordinator is a play at talent acquisition. Again, I think his track record at coordinating offenses is good enough. Um, You know, if Miami can be a top 40 offense all day long, I would take that. Um, And you pair James Coley and Mario Cristobal and a wide receiver coach that can be a dynamic recruiter, such as a Taekwon Underwood from Pittsburgh, or a T. Martin, uh, who is currently with the Baltimore Ravens as the wide receivers coach. To me, that's going to significantly level up the talent. And right now, where I'm at with this program, Miami's nowhere nowhere near as talented on offense uh, with their personnel. Uh, you know, compared to when Coley left in 2015. Um, Again, I think it's slowly gone downhill. So, you know, I think it's fun to talk about schematics and and all that type of stuff. Uh, but to me, the 
biggest issue on both sides is personnel, uh, stacking talent. And I think James Coley significantly helps in that regard. And, you know, his track record in coordinating offenses is, uh, is better, I think, than people give him credit for. Um, you know, there's a recent report on Doug Nussmeyer in Nuss We Trust. Um, you know, look, I, you know me, Gabby, I'm a glass half full guy. I can, yeah, I can, I can get on board with a lot of things. Um, that, that, if that hire were to take place, it would have me scratching my head. I just don't see the results with Doug Nussmeyer at his various stops. Um, and so like, you know, look, if you're asking me, would you rather have James Coley or Doug Nussmeyer? To me, it's not even close. Uh, give me James Coley all day. Um, but, and again, I'm not sitting here saying Doug Nussmeyer is like a significant uh, target. I, I definitely believe that Mario Cristobal and his people have talked. Mario Cristobal talks to a lot of people though. So, um, and that is a connection point with them both being at Alabama. So, um, you know, I, I get it if you're not a James Coley fan. Um, but where I'm at right now is he might be the right guy right now to help level up the talent to where it needs to be because it's just not there right now. But that's my long-winded answer. No, I, and I think that's just so important. And I don't, again, it's not, it's not that people don't realize this, but it's just like when the talent gets better, like the results are going to get better. You know, when you like better players make plays, all that fun stuff. So if James Cooley's the guy that's going to go help Miami get some more dudes in the building, like especially at some skill spots at the quarterback position, all those things, then like that's stuff that matters. Like, you know, if, if Todd Munkin was calling plays at, you know, FAU last year, like what, what did it right. made much of the, you know, like if Todd Munkin was Miami's coordinator. Right. I mean, it, what are we talking about? Exactly. 25 you, points per game instead of 23. I exactly. Mean. Like that's what, that's what I think people, again, I don't know if they not fail to realize, but I don't think they like, I think it's a part of the equation. Like the ta- the overall talent level needs to increase. And I think it needs to increase, you know, fairly significantly here over the next couple of years, if we're going to see the results that we want to see. And I think they do need some big time recruiters, uh, obviously guys that can dial it up, but guys that can definitely go out and have the chops to, to attract elite talent and have those relationships. And I think James Coley is one, again, I mean, we, we, we saw it, we saw it with Shamar Stewart, how James Coley went head to head with Mario Cristobal, pulled him to Texas A&M. So if you can get guys like that in the building, um, I think that helps the program overall. And again, he's someone that, you know, has coordinated in the past and has had success with it. So, and again, what what are we comparing it to? Like people were saying, like, we're mad about the James Cooley offense. You're talking about it was in the fifties. I mean, Miami just had the S and P plus Miami was what, like you said, 88th. Like I think anything at that, at this point is a, is an upgrade. So uh, definitely give me someone who can, who can call plays and that can can recruit. Yeah. I think for the most part, when he has enough talent to work with, he can coordinate a top 40 offense. Okay. You court you, you combine a top forty offense with, in my opinion, Miami's defense should always be top twenty five. If if that's what you're doing year in and year out, you're gonna win ten plus games a year. Um, but anyways, that's my 
probably I don't know honestly if it's if it, if that's an unpopular take. Um, we'll find out in the comment section. <laughs> yeah, they'll let us know. Um, all right, let's move on to. So that was long winded. I think that deserved to be long winded. Offensive coordinator talk. Let's go at a quicker pace now. This is another question from Bump and Meat. Uh, he asks for the 2024 cycle. Who is your favorite prospect so far? Yeah, I guess I'll go one on offense and one on defense. Uh, offense to me, it's very easy, and that's just it's just because I, it's a generational talent. At least I think it's a generational talent that has kind of blossomed before my eyes, and that's Jeremiah Smith, the wide receiver out of uh, Hollywood Shamanad Madonna, uh, six foot three, hundred and eighty-five pounds. I mean, watched him since the spring, uh, going into his sophomore year, and he was just a pup. Uh, Watched him in seven on seven as, you know, coming up in like the younger SFE organization when he was really just little um, and just watching him literally like physically grow and then literally just become, uh, you know, one of the most dominant receivers uh, in the country. Uh, definitely to me, the number one receiver in the country uh, has been super, super impressive. And obviously Jeremiah Smith committed to Ohio State. Uh, we'll see what Miami can do. Maybe this next staff could have something to say about it. Uh, but right now, I mean, to me on offense, he's, he's kind of Freak. maybe, maybe the no best brainer. that I've seen in, in my time here with 24 seven, which dates back to what 2021. So not a ton of time, but, uh, to me, Jeremiah Smith is one of the most impressive, you know, physical specimens I've seen at the high school level. Uh, you know, yeah. And he, again, still it's February of his junior year of high school. So not even a senior yet. Uh, he, I think he's really, really big time. And then for me on defense, uh, just kind of considering need and all that stuff, I think I'm probably going to roll with David Stone, uh, the defensive That's lineman. Fine. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, we can just talk. We can just do this together then. Um, we don't plan this. We don't plan these things. We don't like right. go ahead and be like, oh, I'm picking this guy. I'm picking this guy. We're just we're just freestyling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, David Stone to me is just. I think he's just like exactly what Miami needs in the middle of that defense, uh, just on the interior defensive line. Uh, David, we watched him against Venice. He was, he wasn't like a no name at that point, but he definitely wasn't like, you know, yeah, he was kind of a young guy. We we're still focusing on the 23s. And we walked out of Venice that, that evening, right. Being like, okay, who the heck, like David Stone is a freak show. Ernest Willer is a freak show. Like both those 2024 yeah. defensive linemen from uh, IMG were really, really good. I mean, I think David Stone, really really just is some is something that Miami just absolutely needs to add to their defense it's something he has everything they're lacking six foot four 290 pounds uh definitely still someone that's going to continue growing and developing uh he's going to be at Miami March 4th for that junior day which I think is a really big deal it does seem like Miami's a school he's seriously considering alongside Michigan State who's done a really good job recruiting him and uh, Oklahoma which is where he's from originally uh, so Miami definitely got to chop away, uh, chip away there. Uh, but David Stone's probably my favorite defensive guy. Yep. Five-star from IMG Academy. Got to keep that pipeline going. Uh, game wrecker in the middle. And and you nailed it. Like the last two cycles, Miami hasn't really recruited D-tackle to the level I would like. Uh, you land a guy like that, and, and that changes that narrative. Uh, next question comes from Rogue45. How would you like to see Miami's recruiting approach evolve in 2024 after seeing the outcome in 2023? Uh, this is open-ended to anything regarding evaluation, approach, timeline, recruiting pitch, position-specific deficiencies that should be addressed. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I mean, I'll just start running with this one. I think one thing that they maybe felt like they, I don't know, maybe I guess in hindsight, uh, I think they feel like they were maybe late on some guys, uh, you know, in terms of pulling the trigger and offering, um, you know, and then actively recruiting, for example, Micah Mays was someone that, you know, I think was offerable, like in the summer months, maybe even before that, depending on how much exposure you had to him. And again, they kind of, you know, were kind of late to the party there after he had already committed to Wake Forest. I think Jakeem Jackson, they felt like, you know, maybe they're not late on, but I think they were later than maybe Florida and some of the others. And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe that kind of delayed them. So I, and I do think one thing that they've been super intentional about, at least, you know, here in January, they, they've just been, they've been offering a ton of guys. And I think they're at the point right now where it's just like, if we think a kid has a chance here over the next five right. or six months to be a target, we're offering right now because we're not going to have people telling us, in July or August or September that we were late to the party. And now, uh, you know, you're not going to, you're basically not going to get this game. You can recruit them, but you know, all these other schools have already done a better job establishing relationships. So I think that they've done, like, I think they've offered kids now in January. That's some that, you know, again, last cycle, and maybe, you know, you can give them a pass. It was their first full cycle here. I think they're still putting the pieces together of the recruiting department, but I feel like they're kind of rolling now in terms of kind of the evaluation side of things. And I think they're doing a good job of just being like, Hey, you know what? Is this kid our number one target right now? We don't really know, but we like him enough where we're going to offer him. And I think they did a really good job in the state of Florida and really just honestly nationally, just kind of going out and offering some 2024s because you really never know, uh, you know, how the chips fall and all that stuff. So I I do think that that's one thing that I kind of want to tip my cap to them and being like, I really think that they adjusted there. They pivoted. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that could potentially pay off down the line where you're not going to have people saying, oh, oh, well, we told you about this kid in March and you waited until July to offer and now whatever. So yeah, that's one thing that I would say that they've definitely adjusted. And uh, I think that, that, you know, they've done well in doing so. Part of that too, is a function of some of the staff wasn't in place, like the recruiting staff, off-field staff till what, mid-January, mid-February. Yeah. So like you alluded to, it's catch up and now they're, they're in the full swing of things. For me, I just want to see more tenacity in terms of recruiting effort by the assistants. Uh, I think Mario Cristobal covers up a lot of holes in recruiting, which is a good thing. I'm not saying he shouldn't. Um, That's what makes him different. Um, But I just, I want to see assistants step it up and, you know, that could happen on the offensive side with some of these changes. You just go get guys that will, uh, put more effort into recruiting. Um, but to me, that's like the one area where I'm just kind of like, okay, uh, Mario Cristobal on his own can kind of deliver you the number seven class. Give them one, two, three dog recruiters in terms of assistance with them. I think you're talking top five classes at on a consistent basis. So that's where I'm at. Um, Paul Erickson asks, who are three players you are monitoring during the spring that you think have breakout potential? Oh, you want to take this one first? Sure. I wrote down seven names just in case we overlap or whatever. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, take, take, um, take three. Okay. I'll go. I think an easy one kind of is Nigel E. Kelly. Yeah. Um, I think he's a guy that has special talent. I think it'll show. I don't know if it'll show this year or next year uh, because development trajectory is hard to 
predict. Um, but I do think there's a lot of talent there. And I wouldn't be surprised if he steps up into being a very important player on the defensive line this year. Um, I'll go... Uh, I'll go with a guy I hope takes a step up. I'm not like confident it's going to happen this year, but I'll go cornerback Chris Graves. Yeah. I hope he steps up. I think there is some talent there. Ideally for that position group, he does step up. Uh, Am I like predicting it? I'm not, uh, but I think there's a chance. What do you like about him? Yeah, I, I just think people around the program talk really highly about Chris Graves. And, like, again, like, the physical – His talent. Like the, yeah, the, the overall talent. Like, I really – again, just based on, like, you know, some conversations I have, they feel like Chris Graves has the, has the highest ceiling of anyone in the cornerback room. Like, they think he's that talented. Obviously, it, it all has to kind of come together for him. But I think if Chris – I think Chris Graves is one of those things that, like, all the dots connect – like, you know, he could be a potential all-conference cornerback when it's, you know, before his time at Miami is kind of up. And he's coming off a shoulder injury. I think he's back. Uh, so, I, I mean, we'll see if he's, you know, participating in the spring or whatnot. But I think he's good. Um, and I, I I think that they think he's super talented. What He was like a, a, basically like, you know, basically an 11-second guy, like, like flat coming out of high school, uh, a wide receiver turned cornerback. So, you know, those are – that's always kind ball of skills. like, a tr- yeah, the ball skills, you know, that, that stuff that translates, that's something that, you know, you look at NFL corners and that's something Six that foot. a lot of them. Yeah, exactly. He has the size, all those different types of things. And so I think people around the program are just really, really excited about him. I think I said on one of the podcasts, like I talked to Cam Kitchens about like any of like the young guys that I thought that, you know, he thought that would step up and like, he just raved about Chris Graves and other people around the program uh, definitely have as well. So I think, Chris Graves is a breakout candidate. Is he there yet? Like you mentioned, David, we don't know. Um, but hopefully, just because I do think it would be really, really big for Miami if he It'd were to huge. kind of emerge. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think Chris Graves is a is. I mean, he was a fir- he was the first name that came to to my mind when we we're talking breakout guys. Who else would you toss out there? Honestly, I mean, I would. T- <laughs> I mean, I think I don't know if it's more of like a breakout. I think more maybe it's more of a step it up, like a step it up type. Uh, you know, I I kind of you know James Williams came to mind. Uh, just because okay. I think, you know, he's someone that's obviously a starter on the team. And uh, I think he's someone that needs to kind of come around um, and kind of be really who we thought he was going to be coming out of high school. I think, uh, you know, he's someone that, again, I don't know if it's like breakout, but I think he's someone that really needs to have a much better, uh, you know, junior season than he did sophomore. So he's definitely uh, a name to, that came to mind. Another was Wesley Besaint. Like, I think in that breakout category, I think Wesley Besaint is someone who can really take that next step. And we talked about him on the last podcast, David, of like what we ex- expect the starters to look like. And I think Wesley Besaint's one of those guys that we have penciled in as a maybe a full-time starter here in 2023. So I think Wesley Besaint is definitely in that potential breakout category for me. I got my eye on Markeith Williams. Um, okay. It might be a, a year early. Yeah. But I think there's something there. For sure. Um, you know, he's a skinny guy, but he's he's kind of violent for his size, if yeah. that makes sense. Uh, there's something there. Miami needs, I th- think, a third safety to emerge. Uh, and I got my eye on him. I don't know if it. If, I don't know if he's going to break out. Right. But again, kind of similar to Chris Graves, I think it'd be ideal for the 
the defense for the program if he did. Um, and then Jaleel Skinner, kind of similar yeah, thing. You yeah. know, he, he flashed some uh, as a true freshman. Now it's time to put it all together and be a consistent guy um, in all these different phases that are required of the tight end position. Uh, big time talent, but he's got to put it all together. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think, I think the bottom line here is there's a lot of opportunities on this team. Yeah. Um, and this is like part of the culture that Mario Cristobal is trying to build. Who's going to just go take it, you know, who's going to take these opportunities, make the most of it rather than wait for things to come to them, uh, by going through the motions. So, uh, it's definitely something that, you know, this storyline or this, question in terms of breakout potential players is definitely something that's huge in the spring for the entire team in my opinion yeah I think you could throw Colby Young in there too as someone like he's probably the outside receiver who flashed the most I think he's someone that you can say you know if like he could be on breakout watch now that he's gonna have a full spring and all that stuff because he was a, I mean, he was a late arrival. I think he was the last one right. um, in that 2022 cycle that got, that got to campus and still, I mean, obviously he came along slowly, but once he got on the field and got his opportunity, he balled. So uh, let's see what it looks like after a full, you know, again, full January, you know, or like winter, you know, lifting program, uh, you know, full slate of, of spring practice and, you know, yep. all that stuff. What's he going to look like, you know, ne- uh, you know, come September 1st, I think Colby Young, especially with the dire need of an outside receiver and the lack of, you know, in, of an influx of talent via the transfer so portal or anything like that. I think uh, Colby Young is someone who can be in that, you know, breakout category as well. Kane Fanatic 44 asks, has there been any turnover expectation of turnover with the strength staff? Any idea how they plan to address the injury bug that hit the team last year? Also at this time, do we expect DVD to return? So, I'm not aware of any turnover on the strength staff. Um, and yes, injuries were an issue last year. Um, my impression on the way Mario Cristobal views this is, um, I think he looks at it like this. We are, this is who we are in terms of we want a, a program, we want to build a program that, um, you know, its foundations in the strength room is built on. Uh, big, strong, powerful body types that are tough, that can, you know, play through some things um, because they are bigger framed guys. Um, I think, you know, he inherited a team that had a lot of finesse type of body types and players. And could they stand up to that type of regimen? I think that's where some breakdowns happened. Um, and so I think Mario Cristobal, for the most part, looks at it like, okay, it's up to me to give the strength staff the type of body types that can handle this regimen via recruiting. And I think if you look at the profile of the majority of these recruits that are coming in, they're just straight up bigger body types across the board almost every position. Um, And so I think that's how he thinks about it. And also too, with the injury thing, I think he looks at it, you know, from a cultural standpoint of like, our identity is going to be tough and physicality. And 
yes, that means injuries are going to happen because maybe we practice a little tougher and a little more physical than other teams around the country. Um, but again, that's up to me to provide depth via recruiting year after year after year so that when those injuries happen, we can handle it because next man up, the drop-off isn't going to be as significant. Um, so that's my understanding on the mentality of, you know, the strength. And, and also too, I, I, I think it's worth saying this. I think Aaron Feld is highly respected. Um, you know, the way he structures his program, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's in line with what Mario wants. So they are in lockstep with that. In terms of DVD, you know, I think it's to be determined. I, I think he does want to coach on the field, but, uh, and so if an opportunity arises, I could definitely see him exploring that. Uh, but right now it doesn't seem, I mean, it seems like he's coming back. Um, I'll, I'll mention this. And there was a proposal uh, to the NCAA, I think maybe January, December, January, that would allow any institutional staff members. So that support staffers and analysts to coach uh, during practice weeks. Um, and I don't think it was voted on yet. I think they pushed it back. And I think it's going to be reexamined because I do think they want to structure it in a little better way than just any, uh, because that could be abused, I think, in some ways. But let's say the NCAA passes a rule, hypothetically, where, okay, you can have 15 staffers, including your coaching staff, right? So right now it's 10 assistant coaches. Let's say, okay, you can pick five analysts to also coach on the field. Um, I think that's a type of role that can, number one, create a farm system for coaching staffs. Um, you know, if coaches move, you can just promote your analyst. Number two, it, it can help retain a guy like DVD who, you know, can legally coach on the field in practices. Yes, he might. And, and look, honestly, too, and I'm not saying this is a situation with DVD and Jamila Dye. But let's just say hypothetically, Jamila Dye is an older uh, position coach that doesn't love recruiting. You could structure your staff that way in that, okay, you're going to just coach practice, help develop guys. You like getting your hand on guys and, and working with them in practice. DVD, you're young. You connect with recruits. You can be the guy that, yeah, also coaches in practice, but you're our recruiter at that position group too. So I think there's going to be changes uh, in that way at the college level for structuring coaching staffs. Um, there's still details to be buttoned up there. Um, but that type of stuff, I think, gives DVD, a guy like a DVD, uh, even more longevity at Miami. And, and he can continue to cut his teeth even more, you know, working, developing guys in practice, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I guess, I guess my take on that is, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, similar, obviously. Uh, I do think, you know, if there's an opportunity for him to get on the field somewhere, uh, again, in a situation that, you know, makes sense and all that stuff, not saying he'll go like down a level or anything like that in terms of like FCS or anything like that. But uh, 
I think if there's an opportunity for him to get on, on the field somewhere, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, took that opportunity because at the end of the day, yeah, you know, he has sure. he has he has been at Miami a little bit. I think he's had opportunities maybe in the past that he, you know, he he kind of passed up. So uh, you know, I do think if something new were to come up where he can kind of again just begin that journey of his where he's like an on-field coach and he could start that leveling up process. Uh, I do think that that's an op- that I do think that's something he would take advantage of. And again, I think professionally, that's probably the right move for him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. South Florida Green Child asks, uh, serious question. Do you think Mario Cristobal is more open to change with his offensive scheme and being open to having less control over the offense? So I think this is his scheme. I think he wants to run the power spread. You know, I don't think he wants to do a bunch of tempo type of looks on offense because uh, he, he believes in, you know, that exposes the defense. And this is a broad general statement. Um, I'm sure there's examples that would refute this, but I do think for the most part, teams that, you know, air raidy offenses that play a bunch of snaps offensively, um, generally, uh, their defenses kind of struggle in terms of points allowed, et cetera. Um, so I do think there's something to it. Um, and that's just what Mario believes. So I don't know if you want to expand or we should just go on to the next question, Gabby. No, we can move on. Ethan26 asks, what's the biggest transfer portal need at the moment? D-tackle? wide receiver, corner, or running back? I mean, I, I would probably, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, it depends. What Don't overthink it. Yeah, no, to me, it's wide receiver. I think you need, a, I think yeah. you need a wide receiver. Um, I think you need someone on the outside that's going to just help make plays. Yeah. Uh, again, I mean, we're mentioning, you know, Colby Young as a potential breakout candidate and, and that's fine, but I don't think that's something that at the university of Miami, they should be relying on. Uh, I think that receivers and all that stuff should never be, you know, those skill positions shouldn't really be an issue, but still, regardless of all that stuff, I think that they need to find a way to get a wide receiver to come. I think maybe when the offensive coordinator and all that stuff, um, when all that, when all that gets figured out, I think that they need to kind of target a guy like a Gary Bryant who still hasn't made a decision yet and be like, okay, look, this is what we're going to do for you. You know, this is what you got here, all this stuff. Boom. Go get a guy like that. I think uh, we got to see what this may window looks like last year. 
you know, that's when they're able to get a bunch of, you know, of maybe their top transfer guys like the Daryl Jackson, the key Messadors, those types. I don't think that's a window that they want to rely on. I don't think they feel like that would, right. that, that's that late success in May was, uh, is, is sustainable. That's not like their plan to be like, Oh, let's see what happens in, in, you know, in that 15 day window. Like that's not the game that they want to be playing. Uh, they wanted to figure out everything they wanted to now, uh, I mean, maybe they got a little bit too picky, you know, for in my personal opinion, just because I do feel like they had the roster flexibility to maybe just throw a couple bodies in there. But I do feel like receiver is 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 the position that they need most of, on this roster, especially if you're kind of creating this whole new offense. I think you need to give Tyler Van Dyke a couple a couple weapons to or a couple of just really new people to kind of, you know, gel with here over the spring. Yeah, I think a quality wide receiver can change the trajectory of what Miami can be in 2023. Can they get that type of guy? We'll see. Um, but they're going to try uh, if one enters the portal in May. Slim Dick Jerry asks, do you expect to see a tougher, more physical team in 2023? Do you think the team finally starts showing off Mario's personality through their play on the field? I think it starts to show, um, but there's still going to be a long ways to go. Um, you know, you look at, you look at the portal defections, uh, and, and a lot of those players were finesse type of players or played football in a light kind of way. And again, there's a lot of different ways to win football games. Um, uh, but that's not going to be Mario Cristobal's approach. And, uh, you know, I think it's just, it's going to take time with stacking classes. You got to stack three or four classes of Mario Cristobal guys, Mario Cristobal recruits, and then you'll start to see that um, identity reflected on the field. Frank with a C asks, what area do you think is low key, a potential problem that still needs to be addressed in the portal that we're not talking about? I think it is quarterback. So I've been pretty clear, I think, on my, and I wouldn't push back on quarterback. I, you know, if they wanted to go get a veteran guy there, because I do think they should value the potential of redshirting Jakari. Um, I wouldn't hate the idea of getting a veteran quarterback that could back up Tyler. I've been pretty clear on my running back thoughts. I think it can work out, but I'm not comfortable with it right now where that position group's at. Uh, linebacker depth kind of scares me. Safety depth kind of scares me. Um, cornerback, yeah, I don't think is overly talented, but I would say, I mean, I, I mean, I feel very much the same way. I think you need, I think, uh, you know, I'm glad they got a linebacker, uh, but I think you can add another depth piece, even if it's not someone that's a starter, just someone that you can come in and kind of throw into the mix. Uh, I definitely think they should have added a safety. Uh, I know I think they tried to add a safety. Obviously, they you know officially visited Tyshim Johnson, the Ole Miss safety transfer, really really late. Uh, he ended up you know choosing Oregon. Uh, I do think if uh, you know more safety names that they I guess they felt good about emerged, I think that they would have gone uh, you know after maybe more safeties. I think that that's an area where maybe in May if they can try to kind of add a guy, I think they. They could. Um, yeah, I mean, running back, David, I think we were both kind of advocates of just like, hey, maybe just take one more guy, you know, just just take a guy that you can throw in yeah. there just to kind of solidify Raise that your room. floor. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that that's, uh, I, again, there's number from what I understand, there's numbers, you know, they have, they have flexibility. Uh, and I think that throwing a running back another running back in there would have been smart. Um, throwing another linebacker in there maybe would have been smart and, you know, safety for sure on top of, you know, the positions that we have already established that they need, like, you know, wide receiver, defensive tackle, a big defensive tackle. Right. Right. Uh, UM Jax asks, we love to bring up our glory days. Do the student athletes in 2023 and 2024 classes even care based on their relative youth? No. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? No. I don't think they do. Uh, look, I'm here for the nostalgia, right? Uh, I'm a fan. I went to the school. Um, but I do think there's something to be said in terms of recruiting. And I'm not even sure they necessarily dip too much into this anymore. I think, you know, a decade ago, they pushed it a little too much. But I think you got to, at some point, you got to leave the past in the past. Um and again, maybe five years ago, I think Miami leaned on the past a little too much, like a crutch uh, in recruiting and all that. And, you know, you, you just at, at some point, you got to let the old heads like me talk about the past. Uh, the program needs doesn't need to do it. Um, I, I do think like uh, things like the new facilities coming is big with moving towards the future, looking ahead. Uh, you have to keep innovating. You have to have that approach. You can't stay stale. This program, prior to bringing in Mario Cristobal and Dan Radakovich, had gotten stale. And part of that was just leaning too much on the past. You know, um, again, I think it's cool, like, you know, hearing about, hearing the opinions of, uh, you know, what the guys of the 2001 Miami Hurricanes teams think about the current team uh but at the same time i think it's it could also be fair to say like look guys we gotta leave the past in the past that was a different time miami's obviously nowhere close to that and uh will miami ever get close to that again i mean that's the greatest team of all time so that's a high bar um gotta keep moving forward gotta keep innovating and I think that's kind of where the program has shifted from a mentality standpoint uh, from, you know, this Mario Cristobal, Dan Radakovich uh, leadership with the football program. Yeah, I, I guess one thing I will mention, it seems like, you know, obviously, I don't, again, it's not like, it's not that they, I wouldn't say they care, but I mean, they obviously recognize that, like talking to kids, they recognize yeah. that Miami was at one point a great program. And, you know, I do think that there are reminders, you know, when they come on visits or whatever that Miami, you know, had all should. the success, uh, had all the success at one point. But I don't think that, you know, I, I just and again, I think the, the reminder is in, is in Mario Cristobal, who was a part of the success and Mike, Mike Rumpf, who, you know, right. does does the campus tours and, you know, talk talks to the people about the history of the program when they're on the tours and about the school and all that stuff. Like they see the past in really the present, you know, because of who's around the program and, uh, you know, really the the ultimate, you know, big picture goal of the program is to play for championships. And I think they believe they can play for championships because they have played for championships in the Correct. past. And I think that's a mate. So when it's not about like whether they care or not, or whether that's even a part, you know, a part of the pitch and all that stuff, it's something that's 
you know, kind of glosses over the program, but it's not about the past anymore. It's about what can we do to one day elevate the program to be a championship program, which again, right. Miami was in the past. It's not about just Miami. It's about the championships. It's about the winning. And again, right. it's not because they have done it in the past it's because they know they can, because it's been done there before. Um, so uh, I think that's probably maybe like the close, the best way that I could explain yeah. the, you know, the nostalgia and, you know, the glory days, quote unquote, that I was, too young to even remember or really, you know, experience. Right. So, uh, you know, if I'm Those here days talking were 20 years ago now, yeah, so. I was, I, I think I was five when Miami won their last, last national championship. Like, I mean, yeah. it's just, like, it, it, I have no recollection of Miami being like a big time program really. Right. And that potential is there. And I think it's worth highlighting that, but I do feel like again, five years ago or so, they just leaned on it way too much. And it's like, okay, that was in the past. Where are things going now in the future? And I do feel like there's a much better vision happening towards the future, towards innovating um, and pushing things forward so that you can compete for championships now and not rest on what happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um all right, Gabby, so a common question in the thread where we asked for questions had to do with backstories uh, in the current, I guess, just the 2023 cycles now wrapped, right? National Signing Day was quiet for Miami, um, but it's pretty much wrapped across the country now. Um, so a lot of people are just asking for backstories. And I don't know what you want to share, if you want to share, but uh, what do you got? The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Star is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Star directly at 561 561- Five seven three four six six one, and here's the beauty: when you refer someone to Star, he will donate two hundred and fifty dollars to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our Canes, call or text Star today at five six one five seven three four six six one. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 
393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial. And let's take pride in our finances. No, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm down to go through, you know, we can go through a bunch of them, you know, again, we can kind of, I don't know if you want to do We can do like a class, I mean, a, a class thing, or just kind of like just some of the more interesting stories of, of maybe the, of maybe the, the cycle. I mean, I, I kind of started writing it down in January and then I just kind of like backed off of it just because I don't know, it's just kind of, I feel like it could be touchy at times. Um, I, I guess I'll just go in the order of like kind of how I started writing it and then uh, we can just kind of, you know, if there's any other questions you have, David, or you can think of, then we can kind of go into that too. Sure. Um, I'll start with Nathaniel Joseph, just because I feel like he was a big, uh, obviously a big recruit early in the process and he was committed to Clemson. So, uh, you know, with being committed to Dabo Sweeney, it, there's kind of, you know, like the no visits rule, like once you're in, you're in, um, I guess it might be pretty well, I, I don't know how well documented it is at this point, but I'll just kind of go through the timeline that I know, uh, Elite Prospect Day, uh, January 2022. Uh, so this was the weekend where, you know, they had their first big, big recruiting weekend. Uh, it, the big day was on a Saturday. I I saw my first time, like, knowing that Nathaniel Joseph was on campus in terms of taking a visit was the Friday before that. Uh, he visited with his family, a bunch of a bunch of family members. Uh, but that's the first time I saw him on campus. I know he had been on campus. Then from that point on, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal really, really kind of went into attack mode and kind of really worked to flip him from Clemson. He obviously did. Uh, another time I know that he was on campus while he was still committed to uh, while he was still committed to Clemson was the day that the summer enrollees of the 2022 class moved in. So it was the day Chris Grays, Marquise Williams, Jaden Harris, Inez Cooper, like those guys moved in. Uh, I know they were planning to host Nathaniel Joseph that day, too. And again, he was still committed uh, to Miami at that point. Uh, kind of sticking on that elite prospect day weekend. Uh, Aaron Williams is a cornerback who's from California, who it seems like tried to kind of commit to Miami. I think over the weekend, the buzz was that like he came back like three times, like he visited with his team and then he came back on another visit with like maybe one of his coaches. And then like the Sunday of uh, that battle Miami, he came back to Miami and I think he was kind of ready to pull the trigger. I think Miami basically told him, Hey, kind of let's hit the pause button here. Your family's not here, anything like that. So they did. I mean, he didn't commit to Miami. I'm not sure if that kind of like turned him off or whatever the situation is. But I think ultimately that was probably the best decision because there was never really much progress after that. He ended up uh, committing and signing with Louisville. So uh, did leave his California region. Uh, but, you know, obviously it wasn't uh, it wasn't to play at Miami. Um, David kind of, I know a big storyline was, uh, you know, there was a secret visitor at that uh, July barbecue uh, that you you attended. It was the day of my baby shower. Uh, so I, I wasn't there, but you and Chris were there and there was a secret visitor for that barbecue. And I know that that's been, uh, that people have been asking about that, you know, people asked for that for months and months and months. It was, uh, it was Kylan Webb, who was a Clem again, a Clemson commit. Obviously those guys aren't supposed to be taking visits, uh, at least not public, you know, definitely not public visits or anything like that. Uh, he's, he ended up signing with the Tigers, uh, as a safety. He's like a four star. He was like a four star athlete that Miami really, really liked at safety. Uh, so he was the secret visitor who visited Miami for, for that barbecue. Um, I know there's a situation that I think people are kind of just dying to know about. I'm not going to get into all the intricacies 
of it, but it's the the Peyton Kirkland saga uh, over the summer. Um, obviously, Miami recruited Peyton Kirkland uh, really from the time Mario Cristobal got down to Miami. Uh, Miami wasn't really a factor before Miami started recruiting him, really, really recruiting him. I think they, they got him on campus in the spring. Uh, I think he came back for like a multi-day unofficial visit. Uh, had, was around the campus a lot. You know, Miami really did. I mean, Miami definitely liked him. Uh, at the same time, they were recruiting, you know, a ton of other offensive linemen. Uh, so I think it kind of came to a point in the summer where basically Francis Malagoa had a had, he commits on July 4th. Uh, so Francis Malagoa is on the boat, is on the boat. Samson Lola had just wrapped up an official visit. I think Crystal Balls had already kind of started to roll in for Samson Lola uh, to Miami. Uh, Miami was basically picking up steam with Olaus Allen in which that's another situation. I don't know how much we can really touch that David, but, uh, Miami thought they right. were getting Olaus Allen in at that time. Uh, so basically, I mean, there was a point in the summer before basically that, that was final official visit weekends, like Francis Malagoa visited Samson Akinlola visited, uh, Olaus Allen and visited Peyton Kirkland visited. Uh, there was basically a thought in their mind that they needed to get two of three. I think I reported this at the time. They needed to get two of Francis Mawagoa, Samson Akinlola, and Olas or or Olas Allen. Uh, basically, there was a point in the summer where they thought they were going to get all three of them. Uh, so it kind of came to a point where Francis Mawagoa has commits on July fourth. Uh, they kind of there was kind of a feeling there for a while that Samson was going to give them a like a summer like a a, a summer commit. I think Olas Allen had like a July twenty eighth announcement or something like that. Like I know he was committing like later on in July and like. Some people thought that Samson Akinlola was going to pull the trigger before Olaus Allen had committed. Like that was kind of like an internal feeling inside the program. So at that point, mine basically feels like they have Samson Akinlola and uh, Francis Malagoa basically quote unquote committed with, you know, feeling good about Olaus Allen. And so then this is where it kind of leaves Peyton Kirkland in a situation where it's just like, they don't really know what to kind of do there because it was kind of like we, they liked him. Uh, but then it kind of got to the point where Peyton Kirkland was kind of going around telling everyone, Hey, I'm committing to Miami. Hey, I'm committing to Miami. Hey, I'm committing to Miami. But the reality inside the program was just like, they really had, it, it wasn't that they had no space for him. It's just that they felt like that wasn't really a direction that they wanted to go in. I think there was a situation during Peyton Kirkland's official visit where he like posted a Michigan state photo or something like that, that kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. So it got really, really tight because I feel like I was kind of on an island saying like, hey, look, Miami's not like I don't think Miami's going to take Peyton Kirkland. I don't think Miami's going to take Peyton or like Peyton Kirkland's not coming to Miami. Not that they wouldn't take him or whatever it is. And that ended up kind of being the, the case. Miami wasn't going to take Peyton Kirkland. Right. But that wasn't like the public perception of the situation. Peyton Kirkland was was like fully intending to commit to Miami because he basically he's committing on on the 247 Sports Network. He called like, you know, the he tells the production team he's committing to Miami. I get a call from the production team to basically do a live, like, you know, a reaction to, you know, Peyton Kirkland committing to Miami and what it would mean for the class. And I'm literally on the phone with the 24 seven sports production people. Like he is not, like he cannot commit to Miami. Like it was, just, it was the strangest situation. So like Peyton Kirkland had every intention of committing to Miami. I do think there was a, I don't know. I don't want to like bash anyone, but I do, I don't know that. <laughs> There, the communication was necessarily, right. you know, where it needed to be in terms of Miami and Peyton Kirkland, like in just in terms of just like being on the same page, maybe Miami communicating, hey, we're not going to go this direction. So it essentially comes down to his like decision day, like he commits to Texas on a Saturday, on a Saturday, but they pre-recorded that commitment on a Tuesday. 
And he was still that, that, like that Tuesday when I'm here, like pounding the table, like Peyton Kirkland is not coming to Miami. Peyton Kirkland, like he cannot commit to Miami. Uh, it seems like, you know, really before that, they finally, like Miami finally had that talk, like, hey, man, you know, we're just, we're not, we're going to go in a different direction and all that stuff. Uh, issue with that, it's like, so he had like a top, sorry, I'm kind of everywhere here. He had a top five of Michigan State, Oklahoma, Florida, and I guess Miami. Uh, yeah, maybe there's another Texas school in there. In Texas wasn't even in it. So the issue yeah. here is that basically he called Michigan State and said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to Miami. He calls Oklahoma and he's like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to Miami. So then it kind of like gets to the point. He calls Florida. Like, I don't know. I mean, the Florida thing was kind of weird too, but like basically, you know, Florida was like not going to, he wasn't really in the picture either. Um, so he basically told all these other schools he was going to Miami. So then he, it was time to commit him thinking he was going to commit to Miami. And it was just like, oh crap, I can't commit to Miami. He basically kind of had to pivot. Uh, I don't know how he knew Kyle Flood or whatever, but basically calls Texas being, hey, I need to commit somewhere. Like I'm committing somewhere. Like, can I commit to you guys? I don't know how many calls he made and how he landed on Texas, but basically commits to Texas basically, pretty much because he oh, could not commit visiting. to Miami before visiting. He'd never even been over there. Uh, he ended up signing with Texas. Good for him. I mean, that situation totally worked out for him and for everyone else yeah. involved. But that was a that was a while. I was on vacation dealing with this man. Like I was in Sanibel with my family. Like I was just trying to chill. And it was just like this Peyton Kirkland situation was was absolutely wild. So uh, that's basically everything that I know about I that think situation. Part of it too was correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Miami kind of viewed him and uh, Tommy Kinsler as you know being equally talented. Uh, but Miami liked Kinsler's mentality a little more. And so yeah. that gave Kinsler the, the edge there. Definitely. I think they thought that they were, you know, similar, you know, like big, big bodies and all that stuff. But I think that they thought Kinsler was even, you know, maybe more like, yeah, like talented. definitely like, yeah, more, more talented. And, like, and, you know, Peyton Kirkland's a big guy. Like, I don't know his weight. I'm not going to rattle anything off like that. But uh, I think that they were kind of concerned because he already had like knee stuff. Like he was already wearing like double braces and all that. Peyton Kirkland was a heavy dude. Uh, I think they were worried about like, you know, they were going to, they knew that they were going to have to basically, you know, kind of trim them up a little bit and, and all that stuff. I think they felt Tommy Kinsler was a very similar body type, maybe a little bit more leaned out, like not as maybe yes, just like yeah. big and, and heavy. And also felt like, you know, he was just maybe an easier person to work with. Like, you know, I think uh, in the nicest way possible. So I think Tommy Kinsler was uh, similar enough where they thought he was good enough. And uh, again, the same big old body type too. So Tommy Kinsler ended up basically being the direction that they elected to go in rather than Peyton Kirkland. And honestly, I think long-term was a, a better decision. I think there was some concern about Peyton Kirkland. You know, again, he was, he's been a highly rated recruit his, his, you know, since it all came out because he was just a big, big kid early. I felt like they, I think they felt like Tommy Kinsler was also just a better program fit than maybe Peyton Kirkland was uh, at, at that point. What else you got? Any other notes? Yeah, let me see what else I got here. Sorry, I kind of like pulled that down. Um, yeah, uh, I know there was, a, there was a situation with Madden Sanker on a on a visit. I think he had he was on one of those uh, official visits. It was a pretty big one, I think. I think it was actually the last one where Samson Lola was there, where I think like later that evening, basically I put out a report that Miami's no longer recruiting Madden Sanker. He's on this visit, but Miami's basically moving on, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what so do you what, do? He basically, so, uh, I mean, he was already considered like a Louisville lean at that point. 
So they basically took like a group photo at like, you know, they took a photo of all the official visitors and all that stuff. And basically in some of the photos, they kind of realized app, they didn't realize it like in the, in time or anything like that. But I think after when they kind of started combing through the videos, he started throwing up like the Louisville L's in some of the photos. So I think they basically cut the visit off at that point. Uh, I think while everyone was having like exit meetings on Sunday, uh, Madden Sanker just kind of hit the pool with his family and was just kind of like, all right, I'm kind of just finishing out my last day here. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not participating in anything else going on today. Uh, you know, in terms of, I mean, they really just dismiss on Sundays, but I don't even think he had like an exit interview with Mario Cristobal or any, cause that's what they do. Free They'll have trip. like a final. Yeah. It was basically, it, it seemed like a free trip to Miami. And I think they found that like extremely disrespectful. Um, there was, I mean, there was obviously, you know, a lot of rumblings about like the Jalen Brown, Robbie Washington situation in terms of, so when Robbie Washington and Bobby Washington, when they committed to Miami on that day, there was like a feeling within like that Miami immortals, like that kind of like side that Jalen Brown was also going to commit with Robbie Washington. Like they were going to commit to the same school and they were going to play together and all those different types of things. So these guys, I mean, they were, I, I think they were close. Like they were really good friends. And I think Jalen Brown at that point wanted to play at Miami. Uh, I think he was kind of ready to commit to Miami. He just, he didn't on that day for whatever reason. I think he just like, maybe wanted to let Robbie have his moment while he, maybe he had his another day. I think just after that, uh, there was just situations where they kind of started to not, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get like too into like their personal stuff, but like they kind of just, they did kind of have a little bit of a, a riff, I guess, like- in a way. You know how yeah, kids do. Com- it's like competition yes. and a seven on seven. You know? Yeah, so. exactly. It just kind of got, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like kind of like kids being kids. They just kind of got, they didn't get into like a physical altercation or anything like that, but it right. kind of seemed like they kind of started just like, like, come on, man. Why can't you catch that ball? Yeah. That yeah. Stuff. Just stuff. Like yeah. I think Jalen had a rough tournament, maybe dropped a couple passes and then Robbie was really pissed about it. And I think it just kind of maybe impacted their relationship to an extent long-term where I think Jalen Brown just kind of maybe hit the pause button on like, you know, do I want to go to Miami and play with Robbie and like, you know, do all this stuff and deal with these things right. that I have to deal with here. And if I mess up, he's going to be saying all this. And it was just kind of like that stuff that I think made Jalen really, really reconsider kind of going to Miami, obviously ends up at LSU. And I do think a, a part of the reason why he ended up at LSU was because of, you know, this riff with Robbie Washington. So yeah, I think that there was definitely something to that. Um, kind of moving on. To Stan Quan Clark, uh, I think that this is kind of an important one. And again, I think this is important because of something we talked about earlier in the show, David. And that's that I think that they've done a better job of kind of recognizing guys earlier, you know, in this process. I think this this was maybe a product of the, you know, getting the recruiting staff together, all those different types of things. But I do believe that there was a point early. I think it was kind of, I don't know how early it was exactly. I don't even know if it was like summer months. Maybe it was a little bit before that. But I do think that there was a point where Stan Quan Clark tried to commit to Miami. I don't think it was when he originally made his commitment. Uh, I think it was sometime, you know, before, you know, he, I think he committed to Louisville on the 24 seven sports network, all that stuff on a barber, like at a barber shop while getting his hair cut or something like that. Crazy. I think it was sometime before that he did try to commit to Miami. And I don't think it was Miami necessarily telling him like, no, like, like, uh, I think maybe a part of it was but I think they just hadn't really like sized him up. They hadn't really evaluated yeah. him. Like they didn't really know what he looked like physically, his junior tape. Like, honestly, I think he made a huge jump from his junior year to his senior year. Right. And I think his junior year was the first year he really played linebacker. 
Um, I do. I mean, I had questions about Stanquan Clark going into his senior year and, you know, the physicality and like how physical is he willing to be? Is he going to, is he going to do all those things? Like I, I mean, me personally, like, so that's why I understand why Miami maybe had some, some pause or some, like, you know, they're a little bit more hesitant, but I think they basically said, Hey, let's wait here. Like, let's maybe wait to get you on campus and all that stuff. So I do think Miami had a chance to add Stanquan Clark to the class early, um, it maybe would have been more of a risk in terms of just like, cause they didn't really know, but obviously the, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, that it obviously would have been huge to get Stan Quan Clark in the class early. Obviously they started recruiting him heavily once they were able to kind of get him on campus and measure him up and do all those types of things. Then he became like a top, top, top target for them. Like they felt like they absolutely needed to have Stan Quan Clark. So obviously, you know, that just kind of sucked in just terms of like, they felt I like they could have had him too- at one point. Like once he was in at Louisville, I think one thing they really pushed uh, from a Louisville perspective that resonated with him. And I think it ended up being the case, you know, I think he's Louisville's only linebacker signee. And, you know, Miami was bringing in a big class of linebackers. Yeah. And so I think there was a part of, you know, once Stan Quan committed to Louisville, I think that pitch kind of hit with him pretty, pretty hard. Yeah. And David, even when we, when, when, when we were at the central that day, uh, he, uh, you know, we asked him if he was still being recruited by Miami. He said, yeah, but they got three linebackers committed. You know, I do think that there was something to that. Um, outside of that, I don't know if you want to do it, maybe go Malachi Coleman and then we can wrap it up. Yeah. What happened there? Cause that was what, what happened? Like maybe on a Monday you put out there, Hey, he's planning to visit. And then yeah. like two days later, uh, basically yeah so it was like so my so malachi coleman uh for those that don't know he's a you know six foot four hundred and ninety or so pound uh, wide receiver uh i think he was listed as like an athlete because he's just so big he runs like a 10 4 800 meter which is just an absolutely absurd time at that stage it's not nicholas harbor freaky but it's you know very very freaky uh you know nonetheless you know in his own right uh basically mine he's looking for outside receiver help uh, Malachi Coleman is a name that emerges. He's kind of not really on anyone's radar. Like, I think he was like, you know, linked to Nebraska, but I don't think anyone really wanted, like, he didn't really want to go to Nebraska. He was going to go to Ole Miss and Ole Miss kind of canceled his visit. Uh, Miami just kind of emerged. And I think, uh, they were going to get him down for a visit. I forgot which weekend it was, but, uh, they were going to get him down. And honestly, I think the feeling was that if they brought him down, UNC, was it UNC? It, it could have been, it could have been. Um, but he, uh, I think the feeling was that like, if they got him down for a visit, like he might've committed because again, he didn't really have a ton of ton else going on in Miami at that point was one of the schools outside of Nebraska, maybe the only school outside of Nebraska that was, you know, kind of giving him an opportunity. So uh, I think uh, really, I mean, I didn't know this at the time. I just know that they canceled the visit or like they, I think they, at that point they tried to maybe reschedule the visit because it did feel like they, some people in the, in the, you know, in the building weren't really on the same page in terms of just, someone I, I don't want to get into like names and all that stuff but someone basically or people thought that maybe the speed didn't translate the way that maybe it looked on track and they felt like he didn't look that fast on tape and they didn't think that he could basically be a receiver in college versus other another group that was basically just like we need to get kind of get this kid I mean let's get the freak show and you know all that stuff right. I think there was just kind of a disconnect that led to them basically hitting the pause button because the side that wasn't super sure of him obviously had to maybe deal with that. Had to be, you, be on board with it. Had, yeah, the side that 
that didn't want him had to be on board with with the situation. Um, so you can, you know, read those tea leaves however you'd like. Uh, so there was, so that was basically what it was, uh, you know, Miami hits the pause button there. He ends up going to the Polynesian Bowl and balling out, which kind of made me upset because I was like, wow, that would have been a probably really important take. And then just kind of how the receiver situation played out. I think throwing a Malachi Coleman into the room right. would have made a whole ton of sense. And maybe you figure it out later and maybe kind of go through the, the, the bumps and, and the bruises of, of that road. But yeah, I mean, I think those are some of maybe the more important, uh, you know, stories. PG of the cycle. version. Yeah. I think that's the very PG version of basically some important recruiting backstories. What you can say, what I, literally, um, what I, what I can say. Yeah. Um, all right. A couple more questions. Shirtless Sheriff asks, what does the incoming offensive coordinator have to do in order to make Tyler Van Dyke thrive? like we saw in Lashley's offense. And what impact do you see the roster turnover having on that? You want me to take this? Yeah, yeah, you can grab that. I think so, I'm winded. I think I'm winded. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a couple things that it's it's pretty clear at this point that Tyler excels at. And I think, you know, look, I I think opening scripts to games are just first quarter performances for games for Tyler are important for whatever reason it does seem like you know by the middle of the second quarter you can kind of get a feel for whether or not this is going to be a good game for Tyler or not and so I think it's important for whoever the offensive coordinator is to to work at getting him in a rhythm early in games building that confidence because once he has that confidence he can play at a very high level um, but it's also unfortunately a trend in some of the losses where he gets off to slow starts um, and it takes him a while to gain that confidence and gain that rhythm, um, you know, later in the game. He does usually find it eventually, which of course is a good thing, but um, the games where he's at his best, he starts fast. And uh, that's not always a given. Um, so I think it's important for the offensive coordinator to be good about getting his feet under him in that first quarter, first quarter and a half. Um, you know, and another thing too, I mean, this is kind of wild to say, cause not every quarterback can do this, but for some reason, Tyler is at his best when he's pushing the ball deep. Um, and so, you know, I think you got to embrace uh, letting him rip it downfield some. And I think we saw that, you know, in the first four games of this. Tw- so the Rhett Lashley offense, just that's built in. Uh, it's a simple offense. Uh, you chuck it deep. And ideally, you have a power run uh, scheme look with that. So that's built in. Uh, in 2022, you know, we saw. It's a different approach. It's an approach that can work. I'm not saying that, but, um, you know, in those first four games, uh, they definitely did not lean in to Tyler's deep shot ability. Uh, in those first four games, he attempted 11 deep shots in those games, uh, completed four of them for 141 yards and one touchdown. So, uh, the, the fourth game of that 
first four games stretch, of course, was the Middle Tennessee State uh, game. Miami then had a bye week to kind of regroup. They adjusted and they, and they kind of put more spread principles, kind of simplified things more and allowed Tyler to push the ball deep a little more. And in that two-game stretch, he attempted 15 deep passes, completed seven of them uh, for 194 yards and two touchdowns. So in those two games against Power 5 opponents, yes, North Carolina's defense was trash, but nonetheless, in the first four games, Tyler was playing against teams like Bethune-Cookman and Southern Miss. Uh, His deep ball attempts were way up significantly per game, he was also more efficient with it um, than those first four games. So, you know, I think you got to lean into that. And um, also, too, I've said this on the podcast multiple times during the season. I'm not saying I'm I'm not the type of guy that has that's married to a specific style of offense. I think you can play offense a lot of different ways and have success. But I do think at the college level. There's something to be said for simplifying things a little bit. I think you can still be balanced. I still think you can have some NFL type principles. Um, but this is college football. And, you know, there's restrictions where I think coaches can work with guys for only 20 hours a week. That includes practice time. Um, and so installing an offense uh, that is tough to digest for the first year or so. I think we've seen the last two examples of that style of offense not working here. Dan Enos, who, you know, it did not work at Miami. Uh, That picture of him with the uh, sopping wet play sheet in the rain is always going to be hilarious, but he is a good coordinator. He knows what he's doing. Um, Josh Gaddis, I think is a better coordinator than he showed this year. But I do think it's hard to learn that style of offense in a short amount of time at the college level. And so I would lean into simplifying things a little more. um, And then maybe year over year over year, you build off of that, right? Don't throw a million plays at guys in year one. Um, So new offensive coordinator, Come with a fairly simple game plan of what you want to be good at with your identity, uh, because that's one thing Dan Enos and Josh Gaddis both struggled to establish is an identity on offense. Um, But when you simplify things, I think it helps you find something you can be good at. And uh, so those would be my main talking points that, and then look, uh, the roster turnover, I think the offensive line, I mean, I keep pounding the table for this. Um, I think the offensive line is going to be much better and that's going to help Tyler be better year over year. Still need to see improvement at the wide receiver position. Um, but I do think if you give Tyler enough time, he can still be effective. Do you have any thoughts here, Gabby? No, we can, I think you hit on all that. E.R. Kane asked, asks one question and then probably as two questions, really. The second question is probably the most important question of the podcast. <laughs> probably. Um, first question. If you were in charge of NIL money, 
what position groups would you spend the most to build a championship level team with? I mean, I would go. I would change it, honestly, every year. Yeah, I think every year, I think it would, it's obviously based on the way that your roster is constructed. Like, I think, you know, one year you have to go get a big so time this quarterback. Year, this year, it's fair to say what? It was O-line. There was a strong yeah. emphasis there. Yeah. I think edge rush, there was yeah, a strong definitely. emphasis there. Yeah. They they tried with corner. Yeah. Um, and they did have some success there. But this year, I think if I was an NIL guy, I would be targeting wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, outside wide receiver. Because they did yeah. land some dynamic slots, sure. I think, this year. And then quarterback every year. You you got to play the quarterback yeah. game. But definitely. go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely. I mean, this year, again, if I were just, if I had to pick like three spots or something like that, I would yeah. go. I think you got to land a, a, a big time 2024 arm. So yeah. I would go heavy. I'd go, you know, I would play the game, the, the quarterback game for sure. Uh, go get a big time arm, definitely outside receiver. And then I would go like defensive tackle because okay. I feel like they've done a good job. I mean, obviously they got their, they got the two big time offensive linemen last time. I think they've done a really good job kind of stacking talent uh, along the edge. I think they'll continue to recruit that well. Um, I think they got to get the interior defensive line right. Uh, so I would go get a couple guys, David Stone and Ernest Willer, a Kamarian Franklin, like those types of dudes. Um, I would. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, at receiver, you know, do what you got to do to flip Jeremiah Smith, get Josiah Trader, uh, TJ Moore out of Tampa. Uh, yep. I really like the Mylon. I think it's, it's like Mylon Graham, a kid out of Indiana, uh, Micah Hudson out of Texas. I mean, those types of dudes, like you do what you got to do to get some of those guys on board. But really, the low, I mean, there's always enough down here. I mean, Chance Robinson, I mean, there's enough in South Florida and really just within the Sunshine State to get everything you need at outside receiver there. And... I think you could argue too, just the Mario Cristobal negative recruiting. Like if you're negative recruiting Mario Cristobal, you're doing it at two positions in particular, whether it's earned or not, this is just the way it is quarterback and wide receiver. And so I think you got to combat that and you got to land the type of players that no matter what are talented enough to deliver results and stats. And then you can just point to that uh, and combat the negative recruiting. Um, but you still got it. You got to find a way to land those guys. Um, so I think we're on the same page there. So the second question ER Kane asks the big cheese, Cazolas, or other for a nice slice near campus. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big cheese guy. Like I'm just, I feel like it's, it's close to the apartment. Like if we're, if we're getting pizza and the heat didn't win and we're dropping that heat win <laughs> promo code to get that 50% off. Like right. we're, we're, Which we're, is we're Papa going John's, to, right? Yeah. Papa John's. Yeah. Uh, if not, we're going like, we've gotten big cheese multiple. I mean, I love the big cheese. Like my, I have a, I have a friend. So this is what I'll say about the big cheese. Like my best friend lives in New York and he says that the big cheese is his favorite slice of pizza. And he lives like in the city. Like he's like, he's like a New yeah. Yorker and he thinks big cheese is better than like a lot of the pizza places. Like even around him and there are a bunch and honestly i went to go visit him and there are slices i liked better than big cheese but he's still like a big cheese life or so i'm a big yeah. cheese guy honestly i never had casolas and i think it closed so did it i think so wow okay i i, I pretty i think my brother told me it did maybe it hasn't, but I, I i've never i've never been over there so i don't really know did it close but recently i think it was pretty recently i would have wow. to like fact check that 
but I'm pretty sure that it closed or something. But yeah, big cheese, man. Says. Google says it's open. So oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I, don't I thought know. Maybe, maybe maybe it didn't, or maybe something happened here recently. But yeah, I'm big cheese all the way. So let me say this: I've never had a slice of pizza I didn't like. Yeah. So I don't know if that qualifies me or disqualifies me for having a valid opinion. Uh, the last time I went to the Big Cheese was with you, Gabby. Yeah. And I will I will admit, it had been a while since I had the Big Cheese. And I will admit, having the Big Cheese that day, I did feel like, man, this is actually some really good pizza. Yeah, it's I, quality pizza. I forgot it was good. And... I am also a Cazola's fan. It's different. They're different styles of pizza. Uh, and Cazola's has its own little niche. Like to me, Cazola's is like, you know, late at night, you need a pie. Yeah. You need a slice, a massive slice. You know, Cazola's is open. You go get a Cazola's. Big Cheese is like, all right, I need a good slice of pizza yeah. or a good pizza. I'm I feel like you can go to Big Cheese and like have a meal with your family. And like you get a, you get a pizza from right. Big Cheese and it's just like, yeah, that's like a totally like, you know, you can just do that because it's good. Right. So I would give the edge to Big Cheese. I do like Casolas though. Again, I, I like any pizza though. Yeah. So I think I know where I'm going to lunch now. So I appreciate that. Got that hankering. You get, do you get the garlic rolls? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah gotta go with the garlic rolls i get a little right. marinara on the side too so good all right so we will get out of here on that uh we had a couple of free shout outs here we had miami hurricane season tickets oh yeah we had big cheese and cazolas we're just right we're just racking it up giving some recommendations appreciate our sponsors and um yeah appreciate everyone for listening to this podcast and until uh, next time, take care. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.